Hey there, it's Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is episode 12, and we're going to talk about attachment styles, what they are, and why they're so important. I'm so glad that we're walking the path towards healing together. So this is my little quick reminder. I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma support specialist with lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. All right, let's dive in. So in the last episode, we talked about strengths we found in ourselves in the midst of living through trauma. So this week, I thought we'd look at attachment and what that is and what it looks like. It's important because our attachment to others is all rooted back to our experiences as children. Big surprise. Back in one of my earliest episodes, I talked about how As newborns, we develop an attachment with our caregivers. We have to. We're completely helpless and dependent on others for all of our needs. How those caregivers respond to us is very important in building that first bond, that attachment. So when we're babies, a secure and loving caregiver, when we cry, will come to us, hold us, rock us, comfort us, and speak lovingly to us, smile at us, feed us, change us, and care for us in whatever way we need. We begin to build a secure attachment to those people. These people are safe. We learn that they'll come when we need them, and they'll take care of us. So we've talked about it before. It's that serve and return between babies and caregivers. It's like a tennis match. As babies, we serve by reaching out for interaction with smiles, babbling, eye contact, and touch. And the caregiver returns the serve by speaking back, using a loving touch, laughing, or sharing a toy. So when our needs are met and we're shown love and care, we have the room and the capacity to explore, learn, and grow. We trust that because these caregivers are safe and responsive, our environment is too. This is the first foundational building block that almost all of our future relationships are built on. It's like an engine moving our social, emotional, and cognitive or thinking brain responses forward. These positive interactions also promote a boost of a hormone called oxytocin, which just makes us feel good. So we repeat those behaviors that give us a reward. We also learn the security of understanding that even if we're separated from our caregivers, they'll be back so we don't get as upset if we're separated from them for a bit. Even as tiny babies, we can often entertain ourselves for a little while while they're gone. We've learned that they always come back. As adults, this is the kind of attachment we all want. We can form healthy relationships of all kinds with others, 
but we have confidence in ourselves and our abilities too, so we can stand on our own two feet, so to speak. We can also have good, healthy boundaries with others. We know where we begin and end and what we will and will not accept from other people. If it's not good for us, see you later. So what can happen when this kind of attachment isn't present or doesn't happen consistently? If a child's needs are not met on a consistent basis, this can lead to an anxious or preoccupied attachment style. This kind of child doesn't know what to expect or when to expect it. They don't know, for example, if they cry, that their caregiver will come to them and care for their needs, both physically and emotionally. So even when their caregiver responds, they often aren't comforted by them. These children can be clingy and needy, or they can even just outright reject their caregiver's attention, even becoming aggressive at times. They might be really fearful of strangers. As an adult, this can show up as being extremely needy or clingy in relationships. This adult might need constant reassurance from their friends or partner that they won't leave or abandon them. They don't often trust others because this fear of rejection or abandonment has been with them their whole lives. It's very hard to form healthy relationships with this lack of trust. This can also show up as a lack of being able to set boundaries. This style can tend to be a people pleaser. So setting a boundary like saying no feels scary and brings up that fear of abandonment. This adult also tends to get their feelings of self-worth based on how much they are needed, wanted, and through how much they do for or are valued by others. So the more they're needed, the more they do, the better they feel about themselves. It's filling yourself up from the outside in as opposed to filling yourself up from the inside out. Next, is the avoidant or dismissive attachment style. This style tends to develop when a caregiver is emotionally unavailable to a child. You know, they might take care of a child's physical needs, but they're emotionally unavailable. Or the caregivers might have disapproved of or not tolerated any emotional displays from their children. They might have expected the child to toughen up or not be a crybaby. So this child learns not to need anyone emotionally and they distance themselves or they learn how to self-soothe. This is the opposite of the anxious preoccupied style. The key word here is avoid. Avoid at all costs. Avoid feelings and emotions. Avoid needing other people. Outwardly, they appear self-confident and fiercely independent and vary in control. These adults can be fun to be around, and they can be terrific as long as things stay surfacey. Once things get too deep, emotional, or intimate, they can slam that door shut. This might be when they may end a relationship, and they begin to distance themselves, looking for any escape hatch or a way out. They may leave a string of brokenhearted former partners behind as they move from relationship to relationship. It's not that these adults are purposefully mean or unkind. They simply really don't know how to feel, show, or deal with emotions. 
they were never taught how. So lastly, there is fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment style. This style can develop when a child has been abused or neglected by their caregivers or experiences trauma. This child looks to their caregivers to take care of their basic needs, but they also fear them because of the abuse and neglect. These children have extremely high levels of anxiety and fear. And for these children, they are terrified with no solution, no help, no end in sight. They have absolutely no way to deal with the fright they feel, so their behavior can look disorganized. So, for example, they may scream and cry uncontrollably while trying to climb up in their caregiver's lap. So they're showing how afraid they are, but they're seeking comfort at the same time. Children with this sort of attachment disorder can also become completely withdrawn and shut down, even to the point where they have sort of a staring gaze. As adults, those with this attachment style can be baffling to others. On the one hand, they have a deep need to be loved and to belong. But that lack of trust and that fear that they'll be hurt by those closest to them keeps them from forming and maintaining relationships. They're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting for the hurt and the pain and rejection that they know is coming. They feel unlovable, unworthy. They don't deserve anything better. These adults also have a higher rate of mental health issues, substance use issues, and can seem to others to lack stability in their lives. So as adults who've experienced trauma, we may fit one or more than one category or none at all. This is by no means a one-size-fits-all description of the concept of human attachment. I know that for me, I feel like I'm a mix of both the anxious, preoccupied, and disorganized, fearful avoidance styles. As a child, what I remember the most was that almost constant fear, the terror I felt every day. I never knew what was going to happen or when, but something scary almost always did. I couldn't ever trust my parents to take care of me or to meet my needs. Because of my mother's illnesses, my dad being abusive, the substance use, the frequent moves from state to state, and a thousand other things, I had no stability. I was so scared, but I craved my parents' attention. The way I found I could get at least some of that was by being a little adult. In order to gain control when I felt I had none was to become a grown-up. I cared for my mom. I told her what to do, when to rest, when to take her meds, when to eat, and then I'd take care of other things. I mean, and I think I've brought this up before, but this just illustrates the point. I remember being six years old and sitting my mom down and telling her that she needed to divorce my dad and like right away. I told her that we'd be fine. I'd get a job and earn money. I'd take care of us. In my six-year-old brain, this made complete sense to me. How crazy is that? So I'd earn some approval for my dad by cleaning the house, doing dishes, taking care of mom, cooking. I knew if I did those things, maybe we'd get a little relief. Maybe he'd lay off mom for an evening. And as an adult, 
my relationships have been difficult, to say the least. And this still fills me with shame to this day when I talk about it. But as a teen, I was very sexually active, and I'm a rape survivor. I needed to be needed, even if it was just for a day, an evening, a short period of time. I always went for the bad boys, the types that had those dark, edgy sides to them. You know, the more dangerous, the better. There were several times during those years that, you know, actually really nice guys asked me out and I'd go out with them for a while. But when things started getting a bit too lovey-dovey or a bit intense, I headed for the hills. I shut down the relationship. I would just quit talking to them, never to even look their way again. And it really baffled them. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. It wasn't their problem. It was mine. That closeness just felt way, way too uncomfortable and too smothering. I felt like I was suffocating. Then, as you know, uh, if you've listened to my initial uh, episode of my podcast, I ended up in a very, very abusive relationship for a few years uh, in my mid to late teens um, when I ran away from home. And, you know, I was just attracted to his neediness. And I just felt that if I loved him enough, I could fix him. I could love all the hurt and all the anger and all the rage out of him. And we know that just doesn't work. It isn't possible to do that to another human being. You can't love or fix them. I was always looking unconsciously for ways to fill those giant gaping holes inside of myself. I'm a fixer, a caregiver, and I've been working all my life to try and fix everyone else, except myself. I've been married for a long time, but that certainly hasn't been without some major major issues over the years too. And later, I became a workaholic. I mean, at one point, I had three full-time jobs. I was moving as fast as I could, again unconsciously, trying to outrun my trauma. I thought I dealt with it. It wasn't a problem. But no matter what we do, at some point, trauma is going to tap us on the shoulder with a big old, hey, remember me? I'm back. I've really been in the process of working on myself only for the last few years, finally, seriously, in trying to help others and in learning about trauma-informed care principles, it completely changed how I view others, the world, and myself. In learning about the different aspects of trauma, what it is and what it does and how it can shape us in every way, we can use that knowledge in order to heal. We have to know it, understand it, and forgive ourselves for whatever it was we did and needed to do in order to survive. We develop ways to deal, get by, get through it. We had to keep going, even when we felt like we couldn't. 
We all have things or beings that need us. I don't care if it's a plant. Something needs us. So we keep going. I've had stretches of time where I couldn't get out of bed. And I needed to do that at that time to take care of myself. And I got to be honest, it's still a struggle some days. But eventually, I flip the covers off and get my feet on the floor. And the one thing that's made a huge difference is in talking with you. And I've had so many people reach out to me either because of this podcast or through my websites, my social media pages, or my YouTube channel. And it's been really, really good for me too. I mean, my therapist even agrees. And he's hilarious. You guys would love him. We have to forgive and give ourselves that grace, that self-care and compassion that we didn't get from others. You know, I'm right there on this journey with you too. I am learning and healing and growing right along with all of you. I know one of the biggest struggles for me, and I know it's that way with so many of us, is the whole idea of self-care. It just feels wrong and selfish in a way, doesn't it? But it's not. It is necessary and so, so, so important. And I can't stress how important it is. There's something called the oxygen mask theory that really kind of puts it all into perspective. So think about this. Consider this situation. You're on a plane and it's taken a nosedive. The plane's descended in altitude. And as you reach for your oxygen mask, you notice that the person sitting next to you is having trouble putting on their own oxygen mask. So you have two choices to make in the next two seconds. You can either help the other person or you can put on your own mask. Though it may seem hard to hear, the option that would help both of you is to put your mask on first. Then when you get it on and you're breathing in the oxygen, then you have the resources and the capacity to be able to help the other person. I mean, you can't help anybody else if you are unconscious or even worse. So you have to help yourself first. It's not selfish. Let me repeat, it is not selfish. It is very, very necessary. You have to take care of yourself before you can even think about taking care of anybody else. So this is where I like to close us out with that new exercise, those things that we can add to that mindfulness toolbox that we're building together. Remember, you don't have to do this now or at all if you don't want to, but you might just tuck it away in your mind for future reference. This exercise we're going to do together stimulates your vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve, and it is a very important part of our parasympathetic nervous system. This is our survival system, and this is what runs the show when we're in survival mode. It's the longest nerve in our body and supplies our organs and brain with vital information. 
It controls things like our heart rate, digestion, lung function, swallowing, even bladder control. It also affects our mental health, and stimulating it has been shown to reduce anxiety, depression, even post-traumatic stress symptoms. When stimulated, the vagus nerve increases something called our vagal tone, and an increase in our vagal tone has been shown to slow down our heart rate, breathing, and calm our nervous system. Studies have shown a connection between a high vagal tone and positive emotions. Our body is just so cool. So what we always start with is our mindful belly breathing. Breathe slowly in through your nose to a count of five, your belly naturally pushing out as you inhale. Hold your breath for a count of one. Slowly exhale out of your mouth to a count of five. Your belly should naturally fall in as you exhale. Do this five times. When you're ready, the next thing we're going to do is gently and very gently massage our vagus nerve. How we start is by finding our trapezius muscle, which is the muscle just above your shoulder. So feel where your shoulder ends and that muscle begins. It shouldn't feel hard like the bone. It's a little towards the back of your neck. So take a minute and find that spot where the shoulder bone stops and that muscle begins. Do this on both sides of your neck. Then gently run your fingers up both sides of your neck, going up towards your hairline, even up behind the ears. You could use some oil to help your hands move more easily if you like. Maybe something soothing like lavender oil. Gently run your hands up and down this area, up and down your neck, until you begin to feel some relaxation or relief. You can also focus solely on the area behind your ears. Place your fingertips gently on the area behind your ears. Then pull the skin gently up and down. Your fingers aren't sliding over your skin when you do this. Your fingertips should be flat on your skin and you're moving the skin gently up and down. You can place two fingers in front of your ear as well. So your last two fingers can be in the front of your ears, the middle and first finger behind your ears and gently pull up and down. Do this for as long as you feel comfortable or until you feel some relaxation or relief. When you're ready, you can finish up with a few more rounds of mindful belly breathing if you'd like. When you're through, take that little personal inventory of how you feel. Do you feel calmer, more grounded, a little bit more relaxed? I hope these exercises are something you found helpful 
And like I said, it's more tools we're adding to that mindfulness toolbox. Whenever you need to go to that toolbox and pull out any skill we've learned in order to feel more grounded, safe, and connected, do it. That's what it's there for. It's there for you to use and rely on, just like you'd rely on any toolbox whenever you needed to go pull out a screwdriver, a hammer, or a pair of pliers. So I've created a list of all the techniques and exercises we've learned on my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com, and I'll keep adding to it as we go along. And I'm also putting each exercise to beautiful music and video on my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And please, please, please keep on listening wherever you listen. Please like, subscribe, favorite, and follow me. And when I say that what you think really matters, it really, really does. So comment on the show. Let me know what's on your mind, anything you'd like to hear, questions, whatever it is, let me know. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, on Twitter at Walker 58 and my websites, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com, and enddvnow.com. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcast and listening apps. Please take extra good care of yourself and we'll talk soon.